Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're in John chapter 5, and this is the, the second sermon I'm going to try and bring out from John chapter 5. That's, it's quite a long chapter, and there is a huge discussion between Jesus and the Jewish leaders at the end of it. I'm going to try and bite the whole lot off. Um, obviously, I'm going to leave a lot behind, and I'm sorry about that, but most of the themes and ideas John picks up later in his Gospel, so hopefully I'll cover them then. I can't cover everything, but hopefully I can give you guys something that might be a little bit of a looking at John chapter 5 from a slightly different angle for you. Um, I spent a long time as a guitar tutor. I taught a lot of guitar, and uh, there's ways to learn. I find that everyone has a different way to learn. I had this, this kid, who was actually a super talented uh, kid I taught in at a school that I was doing some tuition at, and he was a primary school kid, and he had one fatal flaw in his way of learning. He, he had a really good idea of time and tempo, but he would insist on practising a song at its tempo, at its full blast tempo, sometimes even slightly faster. And I don't know if you've ever learned an instrument before, but it's, that way doesn't work. It just does not work at all. Because as you're learning something, you can't do it yet. And if you try and do it flat out, and you can't even do it yet, what you do is you just make lots of mistakes. And those mistakes, then they just pile on top of each other, and you're actually just learning mistakes. You're practicing mistakes. And so what you're doing is becoming a worse guitarist rather than a better one. But he would just get stuck. He would just hone right in on this way. And he'd be approaching this part of the song and he'd just try and hit it full tempo and he'd fail, hit it full tempo and he'd fail. And I'd be like, hey, wait, 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 wait. And he wouldn't, he'd just keep coming. I'd have to physically like hold his hand, say, look at me, slow it down. Then I'd have to count him in. Um, and I think in this... Chapter 5 of John, Jesus is trying to snap people out of their normal mode of operation. They're not doing themselves any favours and Jesus is trying to snap them out of it. We have a long reading today, which I'll try and bite off. So turn with me. I'm going to start from kind of halfway through uh, verse 9. So Jesus just told a cripple at this, this pool Uh, to pick up his mat and walk. And the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up his mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. 
Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. So you will be amazed. For just as the father raised the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to those who he is pleased with. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, so that all may honour the son just as they honour the father. Whoever does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed by this. For time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention this that you might be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These scriptures are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings. But I know you. I know you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name. And you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you don't think the glory that comes from God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, How are you going to believe what I say? Yeah, Father, please open our eyes up to what's happening here. There's so much in the words of your your son, Jesus, 
in the word, the giver of life. Help us to, to, to understand some of these and take some of these on. Amen. So Jesus' miraculous signs, are to, they're to teach or display who he is. They are strategically and deliberately performed by Jesus as a display and proof of who he is. And they are deliberately and strategically picked by John, the beloved disciple, the author of the book of John, to do the same thing. Now, the teachings here are not just John's copy and paste of random thoughts and ideas that that he had left over from a life with Jesus. They are the words of Jesus given at the time that Jesus gave them. They are just as deliberate as the signs. Jesus sees the hearts and minds of the people. We see constantly through the book of John. We saw it with Nicodemus. We saw it with uh, Simon Peter. We saw it with the woman at the well. We constantly see it. And here we see it again. Jesus sees the hearts and minds of people and he teaches them truths accordingly. He corrects lies with truth and he cuts through to the heart of the matter and to their heart. I'm finding over and over again, Jesus looks at a person and he sees who they are, what they believe, what their life is, what their heart is and he thinks what beliefs, what attitudes, what ideas must be broken down so that this person can be in place to receive life-giving belief in me. That's where John, the author of this gospel, gets his purpose from. John's purpose is to, to, to lay out these things that Jesus did so that we might believe in Jesus and have life. Jesus is doing the same thing. His signs, but also these discourses, these, these, the words that he's using, the truths that he's speaking, they're to break down these wrong ideas and attitudes and thoughts and make room for true belief that brings life in Jesus. And with this in mind, I'm, I approached John 5 and by wanting to do two character studies. The last one we did was the cripple. He was a man consumed by a desire to be healed. He couldn't walk and he was consumed by his desire to be healed and he was fixated on this pool that he thought would bring him healing. He had no interest in Jesus that we could see. No interest in the word of God, the, the life-giving saviour. But Jesus crashes into to his life. He crashes into this, this man who's just staring at this pool. And he gives him a taste of his glory so that he might transform his thinking, change his mind so that he might break down his beliefs so that he will be in a place to receive Jesus, to believe and receive life. He teaches this man, takes away his his problem of being crippled so that he might teach him that his greatest problem is actually that he's a sinner, an enemy of God, and something worse than just being crippled is coming for him. Now, we're going to turn our focus, just like Jesus does in this chapter and just like John the author does in this chapter, we're going to turn our focus from the cripple and we're going to go to the Jewish leaders. Just like the cripple, 
they are totally consumed by this belief. And it comes about in, in similar ways. Both the cripple and these Jewish leaders, they have odd responses to what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going to come crashing in, uninvited, so that they might be saved. There's so many ideas about the Jewish leaders, particularly the Pharisees who are a part of that, that, the, those groups. But Jesus wants them to be saved. In verse 34, he's saying, I say this so that you might be saved. He has a desire for them to be saved. Sure, we learn from the beginning of John that the majority of his own, the Jews and the Jewish leaders, would reject Jesus. But Jesus has hope that they would receive. He's calling for them to believe and receive. The Jewish leaders were also like the cripple in many, many ways, but they were unlike the cripple in that they were seeking eternal life. The cripple just wanted to walk. He was just fixed on that. But these Jewish leaders were seeking eternal life. They seemed so close. They understood the problem of sin and the fact that there's a relationship problem between us and God. It's a moral problem. It's a problem because of our disobedience. And that's why they were fixated on the law. They had this huge fixation on the law. Why are they so worried about someone carrying their mat? It's because they were so fixated on the law that they'd, they'd, they'd seen some of the Old Testament writings on, on Sabbath, some of God's commands on Sabbath, which basically permit work for gain, and they'd elaborated on them. They, they'd broken it down into 39 categories of forbidden work. 39 categories. Each category has like pages of things you can't do. Like fire is work on the Sabbath. So you, they have pages of things you can't do involving fire. Like you can't even lift a toothpick and put it into a fire on the Sabbath. And this, is, this man is breaking one of these rules. There's a carrying category. One of the 39 is carrying. And it says you can't carry a mat. And the man's carrying a mat. These are additions that these, these Jewish leaders add. They're obsessed with the law. They understand a sin problem. And there's this breakdown. And so they want to be obedient to the laws of God. They are also going to the scriptures to find the answers. That seems pretty good. Seems like a good place to start. They're so close to getting the eternal life that they're, they're grasping at, they're seeking but they're so far away. Like the cripple, they'd built their whole life around a belief and a hope that was not going to help them. Like the cripple, Jesus, the answer was right in front of them and they didn't even notice. It's It's a very hard task to learn from the Jewish leaders. People often accuse others of being like the Jewish leaders, particularly Pharisees. Who's been here been accused of being a Pharisee any time? Me, I have. Someone called me a Pharisee a few times. Um, it's something we accuse other people of. And we make, we make caricatures of them. We don't actually see them as human beings that might be a little bit like us. We make caricatures of them. But I want to give you a challenge. See yourself in them. I'm, I am like a Pharisee, often. 
We need to see ourselves in them. John's bringing this up as a warning. A lot of people think that the John's gospel is a is a a gospel to the Jews or people who've converted into Judaism. I think that's a probably true. John is bringing out these Jewish leaders so that we might learn from them. It's parallel learning. And if we are unable to see them, not make caricatures of them or look down on them, but see the similarities between them and us, we're not going to be able to learn from them. We're going to miss the point of what John's trying to do here. So what beliefs must be broken down to make room for the life-giving belief that comes when we put faith, true faith in Jesus? What state is Jesus trying to snap them out of so they might be saved? Jesus sees the heart and his response and their actions will hopefully give us an idea of what's happening here. It took me a long time to try and figure this out. It's a huge discourse. It's a huge discussion. Jesus says a lot, but hopefully I can give you some insight into the Pharisees and we can learn from them. They have a way to eternal life and it's not God's way. It's not God's way. They are obsessed with this way to gain eternal life and it's not God's way. They think that they can get eternal life through understanding and obeying scriptures. Why does Jesus constantly refer to Moses? He singles out Moses in a lot of his response. Because Moses is their main man. Moses is the bringer of the law. These guys love the law. They love it, but they love it because they think that through it they can gain eternal life. They think they can be made right through it. It explains the obsession. Like I said, these 39 categories of of forbidden work on the Sabbath. It also explains their odd response. It is such an odd response. It kind of passes us by. It's passed me by a couple of times before I think the Spirit of God opened my eyes to it. These Jewish leaders are not interested at all that a dude who hasn't walked for like 38 years is suddenly walking. They're like, they don't even ask any questions about it. So I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I'm crippled, I never worked, I walked, but some guy asked me to pick up my mat and, mat and walk. And they're like, yeah, really not that interested. But also, why are you holding your mat? It's, it is so bizarre. It is, it's crazy. It, it, they are not interested at all in the person or the provision or the power of God. They are interested in, in these laws. And that is why Jesus, I believe, is doing a work on the Sabbath. Jesus isn't teaching on Sabbath. This, there's no teaching on what we as humans should, or what them as Jews, or as Jewish people should do on the Sabbath, or not do on the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't even touch the subject. He chooses to do this on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath to smash in and start to, to show them how, how silly they are, how ridiculous this has become. Snap out of it. A man who's never walked is walking, yet you're worried about him carrying his mat. It gets even crazier. In Isaiah 35, there's this this promise, this prophecy of what the Messiah would do. It says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with a vengeance 
with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer. They know they should be looking for God's salvation from a from the sign of that would, would be the lame walking. And there is a lame man in front of them walking. And they are totally uninterested. And this isn't just my idea. I haven't put this together just on my own. When John the Baptist is in prison and he's wondering, is Jesus actually the one we're waiting for? He says, he sends people to talk to Jesus. What does Jesus say to affirm, to, to stop John from worrying and looking for someone else? What does he say? Hopefully you can remember. He said, go back and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The salvation of God is here. These guys are so obsessed with their way to get eternal life that they can't even see that the salvation of God has arrived. That him in whom there is life is standing right before them and they don't see it. He's shaking up their Sabbath. He's creating all this chaos because he's trying to snap them out of it. You're trying the wrong way over and over, just like that young guitarist I was talking about. You're trying the wrong wrong way over and over and it's getting you further away from where you want to be. You have to give up on your way. The Jewish leaders have to give up on their way. They cannot come to saving belief in Jesus unless they give up on their way. That's why Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures and you idolize Moses, but the scriptures speak of me. Moses, he speaks of me. The next thing they've done that stops them from accepting Jesus and believing Jesus, the thing that Jesus is trying to snap them out of, is that they've positioned themselves in this way. It's a system, this way to eternal life, and they've positioned themselves in it. You see, the Jewish leaders had set themselves up as people who decide right and wrong. They elaborate on and enforce God's law. You can see that in this story. There's a man carrying a mat. They've elaborated on the Sabbath laws and they're enforcing these Sabbath laws. They're deciding on what's right and wrong, what this man can and can't do. They go beyond this too. They also decide who is from God and who is not. They decide what is revelation from God and what is not revelation from God. And we see this do them. They've already done this the whole way through the book of John so far, this gospel of John. We see this first to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is gaining popularity. What do the Jewish leaders do? They send people to him and then they, the Pharisees also, they as a group send people to them, to John. And they, they try to decide whether John the Baptist is from God or not. And they for a while go, yes, yes, he's from God. And then they change their mind and go, nah, nah, don't think he's from God anymore. We don't really like him anymore. Jesus brings this up in this discourse. 
for a while, they enjoyed the light of John the Baptist. And then they went, no. They do it again. Nicodemus, most probably sent by the Jewish council to check Jesus out. And now they're doing it again. They're coming to Jesus. They are, they've set themselves up of, as the authority, not just on what's right and wrong, but they are the authorities on what's from God and what's not from God. So Jesus isn't going on some unrelated rant here. I spent, me, oh, I spent so long looking, going like, I'm not sure why he's choosing to speak about the things he's speaking about. And they don't seem in order. Part of it, it's, it's just Hebrew thinking and Hebrew order. But part of it is that I didn't understand that Jesus is actually one by one dismantling false beliefs. It's not an unrelated rant about judgment and testimony or who approves and disapproves of people who say that they're from God. It's not unrelated. He's giving them truth to snap them out of this state. That's why he's saying God alone is the judge and of right and wrong, and therefore the giver of eternal life. God alone appoints and confirms prophets. Humans don't do that. His accusations to them as well. They're not just words to try and wound them. Jesus isn't upset with them and he's just trying to hurt them with his words. He's trying to set them free so they might be saved. He's proving they're not qualified. And he gives them three, three ways they're not qualified. You have not heard the voice of God. You have not seen his form. Those two, by the way, are totally related to Moses. Moses was qualified because those two things were true of him. He heard the voice of God and he saw his form. Jesus is saying, you're not Moses. You are not like Moses was, an, someone who intercedes between God and his people. Moses was a type, a foreshadow of what was to come in Jesus. He's breaking them down. He's giving them the truth to, to try to pull them out of this self-appointed position. So they're the first two. You haven't heard his voice. You haven't seen him. And then he says, his word is not in your heart. I believe this is a reference to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a psalm of a, of a person who loves God, just loves God so much that he wants to keep the word of God deep in himself and not sin against him. So this is the kind of law-keeping that has God as the end, has God, the person of God, as, as the thing the heart and the mind and the eyes are fixed on. What he's saying, and he says it again in a slightly different way, is they do not love God. They're not seeking approval from God. They're seeking approval from men. So they decide on what's right and wrong, but also they've set up a system of men who approve or disapprove of each other. This is the opposite to the way to get eternal life. To gain eternal life, you have to be first and foremost worried about what God thinks, God's approval. They cannot have saving belief and faith in Jesus with these two things. 
That's why Jesus said, you haven't heard God's voice. Because at the same time, he presents himself. You haven't heard God's voice, but I am the eternal word of God. They haven't seen God's form, but Jesus is the image of the invisible God. They don't love God or desire to please him, but Jesus is the perfect son. He constantly refers to himself as the son. He's the perfect son who always pleases God and always desires to please God above all else. They search scripture for eternal life, but Jesus is life. In him there is life, if only they would come to him. He then goes on to bless them. It's funny, it dawned on me, he then blesses them with more knowledge of what is to come and God's plan for salvation than Moses ever got. (laughs) Judgment is given to the Son. There will be a resurrection of the dead. And he goes on to say how that will happen. Jesus will return and rise. He, He will raise people and then they will be judged. The ones who did not accept him will be judged and those who do accept him will raise to eternal life. This Easter, I want to focus on seeking eternal life. John reminds us that it's not enough just to seek eternal life. Here we have a group of people who really were were obsessed with eternal life, the idea of eternal life. But I really want to get alongside them and learn. We've got to give up our way. And we've got to give up our appointed, our self-appointed place give up this human system of approval, then we can actually accept Jesus for all he is and receive eternal life. It's the time that I did get accused of being a Pharisee was I I told someone that something they're doing wasn't right um, and they didn't like that. I think their accusation of me being a Pharisee was was true in a broad sense in that I think I can often be like the Pharisees. But in that particular instance, I don't think it was true. Um, I think we boil the Pharisees down to just lovers of rules. And that's why we can't learn from them. They're just lovers of rules. But they're not. They're seekers of eternal life. They're lovers of the scriptures of God. Like They're lovers of God's work. So I want to challenge you. Um, do you have a way that's not God's way? A way to eternal life that's, that's not God's way? I find this isn't something that's specific to the Jewish leaders. I think this is such a human condition. Even in my mind when I understand that Jesus is the only way, I just constantly creatively find ways to set up a structure where I might be 
worthy of, of life. Something I do even worse is I join the Jewish leaders in this approval and acceptance from men. That was their system. Instead of God approving, they approved. And I think in this way I'm more like the Pharisees than, than I've cared to admit. But They cared about the approval of humans. And that rules you out of eternal life. Eternal life? You want to live forever? That only comes when you seek approval from God. First and foremost, from God. There, this false belief, this obsession with the approval of man rules us out. We can't believe in Jesus and receive life. I love this, this, this whole chapter actually works together to be a, quite a concise gospel presentation. It's very dense but precise and it's been very difficult for me to, to put it all together. But Jesus finds us first by the pool. And we're focused on the here and now. And we don't understand that our problem is sin. And he reveals to us our greatest problem. And he also reveals to us that judgment is coming for us. Something worse is coming. He finds us searching and striving for life. Not just life, an abundant life here, but eternal life. He finds us searching and striving for us. And he shows us that our way is actually wrong. All the things we're trying to attain that are wrong. They're doing nothing for us. Probably even making it worse. He finds us caught up in this human system of approval where we compare ourselves to others or we set ourselves humans up as judge of what's right and wrong. He finds us there and he says, you're not, you're not qualified to judge. You're not qualified to approve. You must kiss the sun. I don't know if you've read that in the psalm. Kiss the son, lest you make him angry. You need approval from the son. It's the judge who you need approval from. And God has set this Christ, this, the word, who was flesh and, and dwelt among us. He set him up as judge. We must kiss the son. We must seek approval from Jesus. That is the way to eternal life. Let me pray for you. Yeah, Father, I know I'm guilty of always seeing myself as the hero in every story, or at least one of the better characters, but I'm so often... Like the, the villain, um, so often in this case, like these Jewish leaders. I keep coming up with my way 
to have life and to have eternal life. I keep thinking that I know best, that I can decide between good and bad, right and wrong. I keep putting myself in a system where humans have the right to to give approval that somehow our thoughts and opinions on each other matter and somehow bring us meaning or life or something greater than just ourselves. But they don't. I'm like these Jewish leaders. But if only I would come to you. Oh, Father, help us. Help everyone here this Easter not just to desire eternal life, not just to look at the resurrected Jesus and say, I want that, but to look at Jesus himself and want approval because he is the judge. He is the only one qualified. Help us to be people who kiss the sun. Amen.